This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk, and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Guy Morris. Guy is retired from a 36-year leadership career with Fortune 100 software, high-tech, and global energy. Guy has also been a published songwriter, screenplay writer, a patented inventor, Coast Guard charter captain, a potty driver, adventurer and now an author of an intelligent well-researched thrillers thank you for joining me today thank you Roman. it's my pleasure to be here obviously that's almost four decades of experiences and career pivots and everything in between so give me a little bit of you know additional uh, information about your journey to now i i've had i've been very fortunate to have to live extremes. I started my journey as a homeless runaway at age 13. I lived in LA by myself, uh, working with migrant workers for several months to try and feed myself before I, I ultimately went back to the home to get a GED. And by the time I was 19, I was able to get into college and, and it was still amazes me that they would have let me in with no SAT scores and functionally illiterate. And, and But I was able to work my way through I earned a couple of degrees and then got a scholarship for grad school based on building a macroeconomic model that outperformed the Federal Reserve and pretty much everybody else in the nation and started my career with companies like IBM and uh, worked with Occidental Petroleum, uh, Oracle, Microsoft, a few startups, some failures, some successes. And, you know, so I, I, I can, I've really lived, I've reported to CXOs, flew on corporate jets, stayed at five-star hotels and restaurants, and, and have lived a, a great life. I think one of my favorite parts was um, raising my son uh, on board a 50-foot sailing cutter, which was a great way of, of spending time with your, with your boy on a, on a regular basis. And, and you just basically untie the, untie the house and you, you've got a day together. So... And I've been an innovator. I've been able to work on early stages of advanced technologies like the internet before people knew what the internet was, artificial intelligence, video and filmmaking. And I've, I, I've really lived a rich life. And I think I try to put a lot of that into my books with a lot of deep research. And I try to inspire, have my books inspired by something that, that truly happened, something real. My favorite story is that I had discovered well, years ago, I discovered that a program had escaped the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories at Sandia, which is a well-known NSA spy lab. And when I determined how a spy program could escape the NSA, what they des- which it has a whole story behind it, it implies intent, it implies intelligence, it implies the ability to move itself and then erase its trail. When I figured out why the NSA would build a stealth spy program, I had two FBI agents show up at my door, which I thought was one of the greatest events of my entire life. Uh, and it freaked my wife out to no end, though. She was like, okay, who, who are you and what did you do? So there, there was a lot of discussions around that. But, 
just I, I think that kind of wraps me up. I've, I've done songwriting. I've wrote, written for Disney. I led worship. I've recorded albums. And so I like to have what I, I think the inspiration for me that meant the most in college was the men of the Renaissance. They were men of science. They were men of business and architecture, but also men of religion and men of arts. They were well balanced. And I think I've strived my entire life to be that type of person. Yeah, I was going to say that because, you know, half of your life, you know, revolves around kind of creative endeavors and then half very kind of STEM focused. So were you always, even before college like that, because you mentioned, you you know, you went back home and then obviously ended up getting your GED. Was something in high school, were you motivated? Like, obviously somebody has to have the intelligence or the capability there, but it may not be harnessed and it may not be brought out, you know, in those kind of early ages, you could be rebelling. I know I was extremely intelligent, but I dumbed myself down, which was stupid to do because it wasn't cool. You know what I mean? So were yeah. you always kind of like, you know, processing things on a whole different level or it was something kind of holding you back? I, yeah, I, I think so. On some levels. I mean, I, I, I was a guitar player and I, a songwriter and that was something I, I always emulated and, and honestly thought that that would be my best shot at having a meaningful life and a meaningful career. Never felt, I always felt like I somehow I must have been adopted or something because I never seemed to be seeing the world in the same way as those around me. But it was, I was told my entire life as a child that I was, I was stupid, that I was dumb, that I was never going to amount to anything. And that the best I could hope for was to join a trade union and, and, and to learn a skill. And and there was a part of me that believed it. So when I went back to college, it was a huge shock for me and terrifying at, to, to my core. I, I was convinced that I would flunk out, that I would be the kid that could never really get a hold of anything. And in fact, my first couple of years, I was I started college, I was functionally illiterate. I had to get my first wife's help just to fill in the application. And so it was sort of a, well, I'll try this. I think more than anything, I was, I, I felt that I, I felt there a sense of desperation that caused me to say I was going to, I was willing to take the risk for the chance that I might not fail. And I think that was the same risk that I took when I left home, the same risks that I took when I went to college, the same risks that I took throughout my business career was the willingness to suck at something new in order to not feel, not be, t- be told by somebody else what I couldn't do, but to at least if I was going to fail, I was going to fail on my own terms and willingness to basically do that and, 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 and take that risk, I think was probably more important. And, and the willingness to really, in taking that risk, there's, there's a sense of, I don't know if venture is the right word, but there's certainly a sense that you've got to put everything into this endeavor in order for you to get what you're supposed to get out of it. When I would go diving, I would always seek the the more risky dives, the more adventurous dives, diving with sharks, diving wrecks. So there was always a part of me that never really thought that I was necessarily all that intelligent, although that proved to be true. I never really thought that way growing up. And it was more of a 
the, one of the, the best lines in any movie that for me really hit home was in The Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger. And he said he wanted to change his stars. And I think that probably drove me more than any other, any particular ambition was just a willingness, a desire to change my stars from what it was growing up to whatever that would be in, in my Delta, never wanting to let my past define my future. And I think that was probably the most important aspect. Yeah. And you mentioned when, when people were telling you kind of around you, you know, when you're not you're not good enough, so on and so forth. It's like that experiment they did when they were, you know, saying positivity or negativity to plants, you know, the power of words. Yeah. So when you do that to a plant, you know, those plants, you know, died over time and stuff like that. And, you know, the the power of, of words, you know, what, what you're told, it stays with you. It's not, you know, like if somebody hits you in the arm, yeah, it hurts, but that goes away. A word will if you don't deal with it and it kind of like affects you and affects you to the core, it'll stay with you and dig at you and can have a lasting kind of impression, especially when you're, uh, when you're young and lost their 29 kids in four years. And I can often see, you know, the power of those words, what those kids have been said by their biological parents and guardians, how that's impacted them, you know, how intelligent they are, how they're able to cope with, with trauma and bounce back and, and still be kids and, and situations like that. So I think at a young age, it's important to kind of uh, foster an environment of positivity. Uh, like one thing I think you should always try it and mm -hmm. fail because I, I feel like a lot of people discourage like, well, you don't have to do that. And not like you'll get upset if you're like, you need to try it. Like, and, and I do things, especially when people tell me I can't, like you said, kind of changing the stores, the stars. I, I just have that yeah. watch me kind of mentality and then pour everything into it. Like, I don't, I don't care if this is the last thing with my last breath, like I, I will do it. So I think it's, it's yeah. that kind of like mindset, grit and determination as well. Well, and I was traumatized as a child and, and actually struggled for many years with addiction and depression and hyper anxiety and all of the things that later on in life, I would be diagnosed with what they call complex post-traumatic stress. And there were definitely times when those voices from my childhood would come back and, and haunt the crap out of me. But again, there was, there was a sense of, I, I, I did not want to let my past define my future and that the only person really holding me back was myself. And if I could just get over myself and be willing to humble myself and to be willing to fail in order to succeed, that, uh, you know, I wasn't going to let somebody else define my failures for me. I was going to discover them all on my own. And, and I did. I, there were things I was really, really good at. I was brilliant at. And there's things that I really sucked at. And, and it allowed me to kind of discover what those things were on my own without letting somebody else tell me what those things were. And But yeah, it, it took... I don't know that I ever had the internal voices of saying, you can do it, kid, you, you know, really positive voices. It was more of a determination not to let my stepdad and my my dysfunctional mom and, and some of the others who were influential when I was young, there was a, there was a strong desire to leave that behind me and, and discover something new. 
And so, yeah, it was, there was, you have to be willing to fail. And, and I did, and you have to be willing to struggle. And, and I did. And, but ultimately failure doesn't define who you are. It, it's getting up and, and trying something again or trying something new until you can succeed that defines who you are. And that was the way it was most of my career. I often, I, I probably spent at least a third, maybe as much as half of my career writing my own job description because I would always identify something that, that we were weak on as a, as a business that I thought I could do, I could make an impact on, even though I had never done it before, even though sometimes nobody had ever done it before. And I had more than one time I had an executive tell me, he says, you know, you're risking your career on this. And I was like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> I started off on the streets. I, I, I'm not going to go back that far. So I, I can't really go back. It, you can't knock me down farther than I've already been. And so I, I decided it was it was always worth the risk. And most often, not every time, but most often that paid off for me. And I was able to move the needle forward, change the business in some profound way that would affect it for decades to come. and. As a result, I, I got to grow in that confidence that I could apply myself to something and and find a way to to make it work. And a great part of that was surrounding myself rather than with surrounding myself with people that I always felt were smarter and better than I was and then doing the best I could to empower them. And that was a huge piece of it as well, was learning that I needed to create the environment that I always craved, right? A positive one, an optimistic one, a a can-do kind of environment uh, with smart people, creative people, loving people. And if the thing that I felt that I had always been denied, I wanted to try and build. And as I said, that came with successes and failures, but... Uh, the overall lifted me up in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think like you said a little earlier, I think everything in life is a lesson or a blessing and what happens to you kind mm -hmm. of <clears throat> traumatically or uh, traumatically or what you see, or, you know, what you kind of like able to uh, cope with or go through the grieving process and some things you may not come to terms with for a while. I think it's important to understand that, you know, not using that as a crutch, because a lot of the time you start using things like, you know, childhood trauma and then defining, well, this happened to me. This is why I can do X, Y, or this is why this happened to me because, you know, using it as, you know, my, my dad wasn't around or, you know, my dad, you know, beat my mom and, you know, my family members. And I saw that and now I can't, you know, do this. So rather than at least me personally, I use that as fuel. So, you know, when I saw that, I, at some point in my teenage years said, if I ever have kids or, you know, if my siblings have kids or kids of friends in my life, I'll, I'm going to be a better role model because that wasn't presented to me and use that to uh, fuel a better version of myself and not, you know, if let's say, you know, a parent was, which I see a lot in the foster care system, you know, a drug addict yeah. or alcoholic. Yeah. And it, unfortunately it's, it's like just a cycle. So you know, the kids' parents are into that and the mental 
abuse and mental illness things. And then their grandparents were in a foster care system and it was never addressed or never broken. It was always used as I can't be better than that previous generation of the same loop that happened to me. If you can't get out of that loop and then just have some kind of mind shift and or an aha moment where it's like, I'm no longer going to use it as an excuse, but switch that. Like, no matter what I do, I know where I come from, but I'm going to use it to fuel my success and to get myself out of this situation. Then then you can start truly making kind of changes and adjustments to who you really want to be and where you want to go. That takes a rigorous honesty. You know, I had to, while I was, it took me a little while before I, my intellectual capacity kind of kicked in when it did it it really raced ahead of others because rather than spending my spare time partying like most kids in college i was working my fanny off but even then i i had to i had to admit that I, there was a time i had to admit that i was an alcoholic there was a time i had to admit that i had developed a drug addiction there was a time i had to admit that i was being promiscuous there was i that rigorous honesty of saying i'm not the man who i really want to be and in order for me to be the man i really want to be i got to first face the man that i am and i've got to get to the bottom of it somehow and for years therapists and you know, none of these groups really understood post-traumatic stress. And so it was always this shadowy past that I never could quite understand why it was still impacting my, my present. And, but it took some persistence and some ability to really look myself in the mirror and decide that I didn't like what I saw all the time in order to really address those things. And that takes a little, I, I think if anything, it takes courage and, and as I said, rigorous honesty that you can't, I was never very good at puffing myself up saying I was I was really good at this, that, or the other thing. It was I would always prefer to have somebody else say those things. And it was my job to really focus on the things that most people wouldn't say, which was look myself in the mirror and say, Boy, you suck at this. And, you know, you we 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 you know, okay, kid, we're gonna we're gonna find a way to suck less. <laughs> and 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 that would be the determination, how to how to suck less. And, but as I said, it, over time that adds up, that consistent level of honesty can add up, that consistent level of self-evaluation can add up and you really can change your stars if you do that. And I'm, I'm an example of that. And I think that's impacts how I write books. A lot of my books, I write thrillers and I write thrillers for a couple of reasons. I think because I, one, that that's the kind of book I really love. Two is it allows me to really look at real issues in the world and 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 dive into them and and ask the fundamental question that all thrillers should be asking, which is, gee, what could go wrong in this situation? And so it allows me to look at things like artificial intelligence and how it's, you know, we're, we're being affected by that on, on a major way. And I really started getting interested not only because I used AI early stage AI called knowledge based or expert knowledge systems back way back in the nineties, even, but, but the, the event of finding about finding the program that had escaped the NSA really opened my eyes as to how governments and others use technology for ways that were not, aren't necessarily what we think about in the commercial sector and try to look at how those things are, could affect our lives. And 
And so the ability to do the research and the ability to really look into real world and ask hard questions and then trying to kind of develop and, and, and try to develop reasonable, plausible scenarios and answers around that, I think are one of the things that I think even makes my books interesting because they're, they're highly plausible. They're the kinds of things that you go through and you're turning the page and saying, wow, this is scary. And it's scary because it really could possibly happen. And, and I, I think that makes for not only a richer life, but I think it also makes for a richer read. Yeah. And it, it sounds like it's carrying over some of the things you have personal experience in. And I think it's like kind of, having the self-awareness that, you know, it's something or a topic that interests you as well, or that genre, and then utilizing certain scenarios that may have happened or that you've, you know, built on that could potentially happen to kind of, you know, craft that yeah. story. And I think with, with everything in life, <clears throat> like you mentioned, kind of like getting through certain things in your life or kind of in the workplace, your strengths, your weaknesses, you have to come to a, a situation that look, you know, you're good at certain things and you're not at others, finding the people that can plug those holes. Like you said, finding those kind of like, I guess, rock stars in their own way and in creating a team that that's functional and that can get kind of stuff done, but you can't do that without being self-aware. So oftentimes people yeah. think, you know, I can do everything. I'm great at everything. You can't, you can't truly do that a hundred percent. If you lined up, you know, these are your 10 things or 20 things in your job. Something has to, you know, be 90% capacity or 80% capacity. Like you can't just be this robot. I mean, you can for a certain amount of time maybe, but you will get burnt out and it's not going to be good for your, you know, physical or mental health. Well, and I had to experience that as well. I did burn myself out at one point and, and a few decades of 16 hour days kind of ultimately added up and, and, and took its toll both on my mental and my physical health. And I, I had to learn from that as well. I had to learn how to slow down and, and accept life at a, at a slower pace and retire. I retired a little earlier than I probably wanted to because I really needed to, but it, that also allowed me to really kind of switch gears and, and reinvent myself again. And, and now I have a, what I call the third act, what people call the third act career, and I'm enjoying it. And I spend more time with my wife. And, and so it's even, even burning out can be a, a lesson if you, if you let it. But yeah, that, that was certainly something I had to learn and, and didn't accept for a while. For a long time when I was young, People would say I was a machine, and, and I really felt that way. I, I had boundless energy, both intellectually and, and physically, and I used it to constantly stay busy. And 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 because I, I felt that life is short, life is really short. Life, you know, sitting around and just watching television or just goofing off never felt right. I felt like I had, I had been given a gift. I had been given an opportunity to change my stars and, and I, I had to pursue that with, with a passion. But at a certain point in time, you're zone, you do need to sleep. You do need to rest. You do need to refresh yourself. And I wasn't really doing enough of that for a while. Yeah. I think the, the importance of that, especially when you see a lot of tech founders, people in the uh, startup space, like the the rates of suicide are so much higher because they can, you know, burn themselves out. They're carrying kind of the weight of the success of that company on their shoulders. And 
sometimes yeah. they, you know, think there may not be, a, you know, a way out, unfortunately. And especially in kind of like now the economy is going one way and different, you know, venture firms and funds, you know, things get, aren't getting evaluated like they did, you know, three or four years ago. So that, and I think a lot of people, I think in my twenties, I felt kind of invincible, especially like, you know, mental capacity and being able to work like, you know, 10 to 15 hours, like for something that involves a large mental capacity and then going to like play basketball, like pick up games for five hours straight and not feeling it the next day. If I did that, maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm 38 right now, but even if I did that for a half hour, I would not be able to, to get up the way, but yeah. it's, it's, it's that kind of self-awareness, you know, you can still like try yeah. to push yourself to the maximum, but that maximum has changed over time too. And you have to kind of ride that wave and understand your, you know, capabilities and understand what, you know, what you're able to do to not That's turn true. out and not hurt yourself. That's true. And, you know, and for many years, I tried to, even in my fifties, I used to pride myself on the fact that I could outwork the kids in their thirties until it took a toll. And, and then I had to, then I had to kind of stop and really be realistic with myself. I wasn't getting younger that as I, I might be aging well, but I'm still aging. And, <laughs> You know, there's, the, you know, you have to kind of take a sense of humor with with those things, and and kind of laugh at yourself, and be willing to laugh, and and accept those limitations as as they develop, and 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 learn to appreciate the fact that okay, well, now I can do different things that I maybe didn't really take the time to do earlier in my life, such as write books and you know do the research behind them, and 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 do all that kind of work. So it's a bit of, well, you know, now that COVID is starting to end, we'll start to do a little bit more travel, which most of the time in my career, most of my travel was, you know, I, I visited all over the world, but it was always air, airport to hotel to meeting to hotel meeting to back to airport and back home and thinking, okay, that looked like it might be a nice place. I should go visit that someday. And, you know, very, very few times that I really kind of take the time to really go in and really enjoy myself. And those were, those were few and far between, but those are becoming more important. And I, I had some wonderful experiences. I went, I was diving in with sharks in, in Tahiti and, and I explored caverns and cenotes and, and underwater roads in Belize and, and, in Mesoamerica. And, you know, but they, I didn't do that enough because I was obsessed with trying to find this version of success and that that obsession was was one of the things I had to really kind of face and say that's that's not a healthy obsession. That that being successful is good, but you can't you can't make that your only goal in life because other things will suffer. Yeah, I agree. And kind of having unhealthy, I guess, focus on it. I think the most important thing for me is time. So with like money, I can yeah. always find an endeavor. I know I'm smart enough or have enough experience in the field that I've been in for 15 years. So if I need to generate revenue, I can generate it, but nobody's ever going to come to me ever and say, Hey, here's this hour back. So I think like at this point, yeah, that's know, right. regardless of what it is sitting through, you know, zoom meetings with like 20 people that it could have been answered with one email, stuff like that. And it's like the, the value of time is 
is so not well for me, or at least even kind of in, in Western societies, because I feel like Europe and other countries, they value kind of your rest and your break. Like the uh, vacation time is, is more paternity is a few months. Maternity leave is like up to a year and they value kind of like, I, I, I always say there's no truly 50, 50 split in terms of work life balance. Like one has to give and take, <clears throat> but countries like that, that value it seem to, to be a little bit closer to that. And, Kind of with travel, I often say, you know, if you could do it earlier where you have that energy and, you know, you're healthy and, and athletic and fit and, you know, your your mental capacity is there, do it over time because that enriches that experience of that part of your life as well. So, like, travel throughout your whole life and, you know, enrich your 20s, your 30s, 40s, so on and so forth. And I think every place I've went, I've learned something about the people, the culture, about myself and then taking it back home, Mm -hmm. but then taking it back home and then appreciate the things I have personally more as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And as I said, those are, as you know, I, I, I've made a lot of, I've done really well in life, but I've also made mistakes. I think one of my mistakes was not traveling more when I was younger. Now, to be fair, I was a single parent for a number of years and, and left my first marriage with a lot of debt. And there wasn't really an opportunity to go travel and, and especially the traveling with, with two, my son. And so one of the reasons why we moved aboard the boat was so that we could we could go places on the weekend. We could basically take the boat places that we you know, that was our home. So it was all we, it was basically just pack up the house and, and we'll go someplace. And they didn't have to pay for hotels and commute and everything. So that was my way of doing it then. But, you know, but yeah, absolutely. I think travel throughout your life is really important. It's really important to get out of the chaos and insanity of the United States at times to go see how other people are living and both good and bad. And I think one of the most eye opening experiences I've ever had was on a couple of trips to India and as, and this was as an executive with Microsoft, but seeing just that the sharp contrast between the wealthy, the extreme wealthy and the extreme poor and recognizing that the, the blessings that I had in, in our life. So, yeah, I think travel can really enrich you in a hundred different ways and do it as often as you can, as much as you can, as early as you can. I would agree with you. I think that's, that's great advice. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you or anything else you have going on? Well, the easiest place to find my books is guidemoresbooks.com. That not only has buy links for the books, but it'll have image libraries of actual locations. It'll have uh, links and highlights to some of the major reviews on the books. There's some videos and fact versus fiction pages. So if I like a Dan Brown novel, I'll fill the book up with a lot of facts and just weave the plot around those things. So you'll go hear fact, 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 fact. No, I made this part up. So that's always that's always helpful. Also on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And, you know, it's easy to find me if you look. Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. Thank you, Roman. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.